Well, good morning. It is good to be with you. I want to do a couple of things before we open up Isaiah together this morning. The first is to explain uh, the t-shirt I'm wearing. Uh, Earlier this week, these came in a box. They signify uh, a meeting that's happening later today during Bible class time, and our our youth ministry uh, is going to launch a new vision, something that they believe God is calling them towards. And, you know, it's always nice to get a t-shirt for any reason. Uh, It's especially nice if it's black, and so... I told Josh I thought I could manage to pull it off on a Sunday morning since it's black and it's in my wardrobe cho- choices that I normally make maybe too often. But I, w- I want you to be, whether you go to that, that meeting later today or, or not, whether you have a, a student in our student ministry or you are a student, I want you to be praying uh, for what God is going to be doing through our students and through our student ministry. Uh, I'm, I'm incredibly excited about what the future holds for that. Another thing that I want to do is I want to ask Teeny Benham, is she in here or is she working somewhere? Is she in here? No? Yes? It's too dark. Get, get, get up here, Teeny. Come on. Come on. It's one of the few times I'm going to tell her what to do. Come, come on, Teeny. <laughs> uh, you know, when you move to a new city and to a new church, there's always things, especially as a parent, that you're worried about. You know, are, are your kids going to fit in, and are they going to they gonna feel like they belong? Um, and before, get closer to me, I won't bite, come on. Uh, before our, our girls ever got here, Teeny was already a new grandmother to them, and their favorite meal every week is Pizza Feast. Uh, It doesn't matter what else is going on in our week. If we have Pizza Feast, everything's going to be okay. And one of the things that I think is so neat about Pizza Feast is when you read the, the Gospel of Luke and then you start to read into the book of Acts, you find that what Luke is hoping will happen for the church is that they won't only experience the risen Lord once a week when they take formal communion, but that every time the church sits down at a table, Jesus is present. And I don't know how you do it week after week. I don't know how many hours it takes, but I want to tell you this. You're the first person in my life that has helped Pizza Hut Pizza and some high C or whatever that Kool-Aid is that I drink on Wednesday nights. And there's something about it that reminds me of bread and grape juice that we take together on Sunday morning, right? That Jesus is present around those tables. And so I want to thank you, not just for my girls, but for everybody for making that table for us. You can go. She's going to get me back. (laughs) I know that much. Open your Bibles up to Isaiah chapter 11. We're going to be starting to read together in verse 1. A shoot will grow up from the stump of Jesse. A branch will sprout from its roots. 
And the Lord's spirit will rest upon him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of planning and strength, a spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in fearing the Lord. He, he won't judge by appearances nor decide by hearsay. He will judge the needy with righteousness and decide with equity for those who suffer in the land. He will strike the violent with the rod of his mouth. By the breath of his lips, he will kill the wicked. Righteousness will be the belt around his hips and faithfulness the belt around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion will feed together and a little child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze Their young will lie down together, and a lion will eat straw like an ox. A nursing child will play over the snake's hole. Toddlers will reach right over the serpent's den. They won't harm or destroy anywhere on my holy mountain. The earth will surely be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, just as the water covers the sea. And on that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations will seek him out. And his dwelling will be glorious. Now, I don't know anybody who isn't for peace. I mean, anybody. We're not just talking about people who share our faith. If you talk to anyone who's lived for any length of time, and they've given some thought to the kind of future they hope we can share together one day, how we're going to treat each other, in some form or fashion, they're going to say to you, if you say, what would you like to see in your lifetime? They're going to say some version of, you know, I really wish we could just figure out how to get along. I wish, I wish we could have world peace. I, I don't know anybody who isn't for peace. Here's the issue. In most of our experiences, the way to get peace is through the force of threat. There was peace in my Chrysler minivan when I was growing up on long trips because there was a threat laid down. And it was a threat my father had made good on many times before. And so he would say early on, I'm not going through the charade of I'm going to pull over, I'm going to do anything else. You won't make it back. (laughs) And I believed him. And so there was peace. But if he wasn't looking, or if he didn't hear, or if he didn't notice, we were all trying, me and my sisters were trying to find ways to antagonize one another and then be the one who got blamed for starting it. Right? In our world, the peace that we have experienced mostly comes from some government or group of people that have the most firepower that can say, we're all going to get along or else. Years ago now, I was in a ministry internship in the Bay Area of California, and I lived with uh, an elderly couple Uh, Just a sweet couple named Browning and Mary Kay. And Browning, one night, we were just kind of sitting around the house, and he starts to tell me what he did for a career. And he goes into his bedroom, and he comes out with this, this huge model of a missile. And it, it comes apart, and so he starts to take it apart, and he shows me these nuclear warheads that are in... The, the top of this missile, 15, 
This missile was designed to launch from a sub, go into space, disassemble itself, and then each of those warheads could be could be targeted at a specific city, and each of those warheads had more power in them than the bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima. And there were subs all throughout the ocean filled with these missiles. And he said to me, I spent my career designing how these warheads were going to target the cities they were supposed to, to go towards. And he said, Jared... We have peace because the whole world knows that we have those missiles. And there have been many nights that I haven't been able to sleep because of what I know we're capable of doing if we're pushed too far. He said, Jared, there was a time when we were running all of our models early on in in, in developing nuclear power and nuclear weapons. We were running models and there was a statistic possibility that we might, in our testing, set the atmosphere on fire and not be able to put it out, and we were given clearance to do that. That was the risk that we were were willing to take if it would lead to peace. Now, Browning was proud of what he had done with his career. He felt like he had helped all of us sleep better at night, but isn't that it was the first time I remember going into my, my room and I'd never heard anybody talk like that to think I sleep good at night because some people can't sleep good at night. We, we have primarily experienced peace in our world under the, th- the, the, the force of threat, but the peace that gets described over and over in Scripture is not a peace that comes primarily through the force of threat. It is a peace that comes because there aren't any threats being made anymore. People stop fighting, it seems, in these images of peace, like Isaiah chapter 11. People stop fighting because there isn't anything worth fighting over anymore. They, they seem to, to get along because they actually want to get along. They feel safe because they actually are safe. And it's not because someone else is threatening. It's, it's simply because it is safe. Because nobody's, nobody's taking advantage of anybody. Nobody's forcing their way on anybody. It, it feels like something that's, that's too good to be true, doesn't it? It feels like this, this future that's a fairy tale. But see, here's the thing. In Isaiah 11, he isn't just describing a kind of future that we should hope for when it comes to peace. He's actually tying in to a deep imagination of God's people of memory. See, he's not describing just a certain kind of future. He's actually saying... We're going back to the beginning. We're going back to the beginning of the story. We're going back to the Garden of Eden. There are all kinds of echoes in this passage that have to do with the Garden of Eden if if we listen carefully enough. But the two most arresting images, the ones that you notice when you hear it at first, nobody likes the thought of an infant playing around a snake. But you know where you've heard that before. You know when you've, you've heard a story about a snake being in conflict with, with someone's child. Because you remember the words of the curse. 
Right, That when sin enters into the garden and is, enters into our world, one of the, the direct consequences of that, Eve is told, your offspring will, will fight against snake, the, the, this darkness, right? the snake, and the snake will strike at the heel of your child. But see, in, in Isaiah 11, that curse is lifted. It is taken away. The conflict that sin invited into the world is gone. This isn't just about the future, it's about the past. There's another strange image in this passage that if you read it, you think that sounds way too good to be true. It's a lion becoming a vegetarian. It says a lion's going to eat straw. Well, here's something, go back to Genesis 1. And you're going to find out that in the beginning, all animals were vegetarians. I don't know how that worked, I just know it says it. Go back and look. It'll give you something to do while I'm talking. Go back and look. (laughs) Right near the end of Genesis 1, it says, To all of the beasts, I give you the grass of the fields to eat. Isn't that interesting, right? That this this isn't just some sort of fairy tale future that's never happened and may never happen. Isaiah is saying, God's going to find a way to take us back to a new kind of beginning. That all the ways that things went wrong, all the ways that we treat each other in, in ways that break God's heart, all of that's going to be unwritten and undone, and we're going to find ourselves back in a garden where everybody has enough, and everybody feels safe, and nobody takes advantage of anybody else. And, and in fact, they're all going to be so connected to one another and, and so compassionate for one another that a child could lead them. And as a, as a Christian, we, we see that image, and we know the face and the name of that child. An angel talking to, to a scared teenage girl named Mary. Says, you're going to have a child, and he's going to change everything. He's going to bring peace, and his name's Jesus. But he'll be called by another name, Emmanuel, because this little baby boy is going to be living, breathing proof that our God is with us. And our God offers us many things, but one of the most important things that our God offers us, promises to give us, is lasting peace. It's not a peace that we achieve through our own threats. It's, achieved where, it's a peace that is achieved, if, if through any threat at all, through the judgment and the wisdom of God. The only person who's described in Isaiah 11 as exerting any sort of force, it's not any person, it's, it's the servant of God who would exert that force. And it's not against just anybody, it's actually a force that's used to stop people from forcing their way on other people. It's to stop the powerful from victimizing those who don't have any power. It's to stop the wealthy who've already taken more than their fair share of, of not sharing what they've been blessed with. That's, those are the passages that have to do with any sort of force being given or exerted, and it doesn't come from anybody but the servant of the Lord. In our lifetimes, in our experiences, that means that that kind of force should be given, should be, should be trusted in as something that comes from God and God alone. But it's hard. We live in a dangerous world. 
Our world doesn't look very much like Isaiah chapter 11 yet. And so in the meantime, we have this this difficult life where we have to admit that peace is a precious thing. It is perhaps one of the most precious of all things. And we want to be people who, who find it in any way we can. And we want to be people who keep the peace. But we, we have to hold within our hearts the belief, the conviction that a greater lasting peace is coming. That we can't make it happen, but we can wait for it. We can, we can watch for it. We can be a part of it. This kind of peace that comes from God, it's, it's something that God has an unwavering commitment to throughout all of Scripture. Depends on the translation you use, but in most English Bibles... Peace is mentioned over 250 times, over 160 times in the Old Testament, over 90 times in the New. This is not something that God just cares a little bit about. And we could pick anywhere to trace this thread through Scripture, but let's just use the the Gospel of Luke, since here we are preparing our hearts for Christmas, and Luke loves Christmas. But in Luke chapter 2, you have angels coming and singing and declaring that this child is finally going to be born. And what, what is the good news? What is the gospel that the angels sing about? Glory to God in the highest, they say, and what? And peace on the earth for everybody. You get to Luke chapter 10, and this little boy has already grown up, and he's got followers and disciples of his own, and he sends them out to represent him. He sends them out to, to be him to other people, and he sends them out asking them to be ambassadors of peace. He says, you go, you go into all kinds of different towns, and you speak peace, and you find people of peace, and you stay with people of peace, and you trust that this is your way in the world. In Luke Chapter 19, Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem and they're singing about peace. But his heart is broken because there isn't that peace. And he weeps over Jerusalem and he says, If only, if only my people would know, would learn the things that make for peace. But you don't. And after he gives his life, to help people understand the way of peace, to help people understand the gift of peace. He is given new life. And do you want to know the greeting that he gives his disciples when he sees them together again? Peace be with you. And in the majority of the rest of the New Testament, peace is mentioned over and over again. We could pick anywhere we want to, but let's just stay with the Apostle Paul, right? He writes a lot of it. He can't seem to start a letter without the words, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. For Paul, grace means peace. In Romans chapter 8, he says, if you're going to live a life in the Spirit, you should know that life in the Spirit, it's not just that it it gives you some peace, or that it has peace, life in the Spirit, Paul says, is peace. In Galatians chapter 5, he describes the fruit of the Spirit, and he has all kinds of things that he's talking about there that are beautiful and important, but it starts out at love, joy, and peace. 
And when you get to Ephesians 2, he says not only is life in the Spirit peace, and not only is one of the fruits of the Spirit peace, he says that what happens on the cross, it's not just that Jesus dies on the cross, but all of the things that separate us, all the things that would cause us to be violent towards one another, all of those things die on the cross with him because Jesus himself is our peace. This is not some sort of side concept of Scripture. It is a core dream of of Scripture. It is something that God dreams of. This world of ours made right again, and it is a dream that God simply will not give up on. And as God's people, we have to keep believing this isn't some sort of fairy tale that can't ever come true. It is the good news of Jesus Christ that is coming true. We have to look for it. To find it. Just like the wise men had to look for Jesus to find him. We have to look to find this peace. And it starts by believing that it's here. Not fully. Not in all the ways we want it to be. I'm not asking us to try to minimize the violence and the threat and the fear in this world. Those are all very real things. But none of those realities are as powerful as the promise of God to bring us to this place where everybody has enough and everybody wants to be together and everybody wants to trust one another. I mean, it is a human longing for us to figure this out. And, and I think the way, that, the, the way that we lose our direction, the way that we lose our passion, the way that we lose our hope, the way that we lose our hearts is we think we can make peace happen by threatening everybody else until they get along. But then what that really creates is fear. And that peace only lasts as long as the power of the fear is there. But what happens when the fear is taken away? Well, for God, fear is taken away by love. Fear is taken away through Jesus. Peace is given through Jesus. I I was blessed to have lunch with Serge this week. And it just is amazing to me that in a country where people started killing one another, I've asked Serge this before, basically because the leader said you could, right? Somebody got into power and said, if, if, you'll, if you'll kill your neighbor, you can have all their stuff. If you'll kill this person from another tribe, you can have everything they, they've built up over a lifetime. And that's, all, that's pretty much what it took, the offer. You can have the life you've always wanted. You just have to kill somebody to get it. And I think we read headlines like that or we watch videos and we think, man, that could never happen here. It could happen here. It could happen here because that kind of of peace falls apart. It's, It's threatened by distrust. It's threatened by arrogance. It's threatened by power. But the peace that comes from heaven doesn't share in any of that. The peace that comes from heaven is named Jesus. And he is the Prince of Peace. And if anybody needs to be punished, if anybody needs to be stopped, in Isaiah, God's people trust that God will do what needs doing. That God will say what needs saying, that God will intervene in all the ways that need to happen. 
I think you and I, we lose our way, we lose our direction, we lose our passion because we make peace a human project that we can force to unfold when what peace, peace is, is a project of heaven coming to earth. And I believe that that happens, not just once 2,000 years ago in a manger in Bethlehem. I believe it happens all the time if we'll let it. If we'll open our eyes to see it and our hearts to experience it. I, I am convinced that you and I cannot make peace. We can't be ambassadors of peace. We can't live lives of peace. We can't make peace before we allow God to put us at peace. We can't make peace out there until we have found peace in here. And again, that's not some sort of self-help project that you and I can undergo. It is what happens when you allow the grace and the goodness and the hope and the love of God to not just be something you read about, but something, something that is beating at the heart of who you are. That you are defined by your relationship with God, and that because of Jesus Christ, God who has every right to wage war against us, looks at us and chooses, time after time after time, peace. Jesus is our peace. And Paul says, once we understand that we don't have to be at war with ourselves, that that is not the future God wants for us, that we don't have to, to feel like we aren't worth something or are worth honoring, that, that somehow if, if, you, if you do not experience the peace of Christ in your heart, you cannot go out into your life and make peace with other people. And I find too often that even church, men and women and children, if we're going to be honest, we're not at peace within ourselves. We're not at peace with God within ourselves. And so we're running on edge and we're running tired, tired of, of maintaining an image that causes maybe other people to accept us and like us and, and tired of trying to achieve things that, that we find out that even when we achieve uh, as much as, as, as the world tells us we needed to be happy, that, that we're not really happy, not in the way we hoped. That we are not at peace within ourselves. And does it, is it any surprise then that when somebody irritates you, you lash out? It's how you treat yourself. Of course it's going to be how you treat other people. Love your neighbor the way you love yourself. And if you and I could ever figure out how to love ourselves for God's sake instead of our own, I think we'd figure out how to love our neighbors too. This peace that Isaiah promises us, it is a gift. It is a gift that we either receive into our hearts and then we allow other people to receive through us. Or it is a gift that we refuse because we think we know a better way. My prayer for you this week is that you find peace. That you find true and lasting peace, a peace that passes understanding in the deepest places of who you are and in your relationship with God, and that you stop fighting and struggling and, and trying to pretend. You just, you just trust. And then my prayer is that God will use the peace that's living inside of you, the peace that you've accepted, 
And that God will help you treat other people with that same peace, that same gentleness and patience and kindness. And I am convinced that if we would let it, God would use the people who follow Christ to help peace break out all over this world. We're going to sing now together. And as we do, our shepherds and their wives will be standing in various places throughout the sanctuary. They're there to receive you, to pray with you, to talk with you, to walk beside you. And so if you came this morning with with struggles, if you came this morning and you're not at peace and you want to pray with, with them, please go to them. If you came this morning and you're feeling thankful and overflowing with blessings and you just want to share that with a couple, pray with them, talk with them. If you want to know more about our church community and what we believe and how we're trying to follow Jesus, they want to receive you and talk with you. I'm going to ask those couples to stand just real briefly so you can see where they are. Go to them as together we stand and sing.